Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Triple R. Good morning. It's uh, right on two minutes past nine, not two minutes past eight. It is two minutes past nine and you're listening to Radio Marinara, the name of our program, All Things Wet and Salty, 102.73rrrr.org.au. Good morning. My name's Bron Burton. And my name's Dr Beach. And my name's Cade Mills. How are you, Cade? Oh, look, I'm doing great over here. It's a splendid day out there. Hopefully everyone's listening to the radio as they're heading coastally. How are you, Dr. Beach? Uh, I'm not heading coastally, but I'm very well. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> coastally. <laughs> Why not? I, I don't know if that's a word. Is it We're all a bit oh. bleary-eyed this Come morning. Come on, Beach, it started already. I'm not bleary-eyed. I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Thank you, you very much. I had an early night. I was like, oh, God, Radio Marinara in the morning. I'll be live in the studio. Fantastic. <laughs> so excited, as you can tell. I'm I've s- had 17 coffees. <laughs> and that's- Tim Thorpe playing my favourite song. And dedicating it to you too. I know. I did, Tim. I'm going to give him a hug. He's feeling a bit special, Dr. Beach. I I feel very special, yeah, (laughs) from unhalf bricking. (laughs) I love it. Thank you, Tim, for a wonderful show. Thank you, Tim. I think I should have had another coffee. Um, <laughs> thanks to Andrew for soulful bits. Thanks to uh, Tim's special guest today, Scylla Jane, lovely live music to um, lull us into this first day of daylight saving. It certainly was, yes. Scylla from, um, from down from New South Wales. Yeah. Melbourne Marathon's on today too. Just a little, you know, community service announcement there if you're getting out and about. It's going to be busy in certain parts of Melbourne town. Thank you, Doug. Yeah. Hey, uh, on today's program, we've got a bunch of stuff. We're going to be taking a look shortly. Neil Blake is, uh, he's actually sitting in here with us in the studio at the moment, but we will welcome him in shortly to talk about uh, these amazing, um, brilliant new penguin proof plant guards that Neil has invented, um, supporting the nests of the resident penguins from the St Kilda penguin colony. So a bit of a bit of a problem in that the penguins tend to rip up all of this vegetation and use it for their nesting, but then of course it doesn't allow the vegetation to grow back. So Neil's come up with a great way to a penguin to deal proof with it. plant guard. Yeah, lots of, lots of peas there. Yeah, solving a problem too. <laughs> And um, got some great funding as well to support it from Coast Care. So, um, and uh, some other great stuff going on down at St Kilda Penguin Colony too. So we'll speak with Neil about that shortly. And also um, the latest shindig, the Premier's Sustainability Awards, where Neil and uh, the Brighton Sea Scouts, their great partnership that they have going, were nominated for an award. Congratulations to so, Neil. Really? But we can tell him that when he's um, when he's on air with yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we are then, Cade, going to be having turning all attentions to, to Nudie Watch. I know you're <laughs> determined to have it called Nudie Watch, aren't you, bro? It sounds a bit salacious, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Which well, was I also... Joke, as part of the contest that people should send nudes to Nicole Mertens, who will be coming into the studio <laughs> to discuss all things Sea Slug Census, Bron. Yes, um, I know. Come the farm on the nudie watch. Sea <laughs> um, <laughs> Slug Census, which are also known as nudie branks, so hence hence the term nudie watch. Yes, and Nicole will go into that a bit more and talk about it. It's the 14th one has started, kicked off on Friday and is running through till next Sunday. Uh, we've actually had a really productive sort of time out at San Remo. So if you've ever been to Phillip Island, just before you cross the bridge at San Remo there, there is a massive mud flat, which I think we've found something like over 40 species in the last couple of days. Wow. 
yeah, um, we've been out with a film crew to sort of document some of this diversity and they're going to continue to do some work. But Nicole's going to talk, talk all things C-Select Census and the fact that all these amazing photos that people have turned in have not gone to waste. They've been turned into science, but they've been also turned into some beautiful products such as posters and a booklet, and Nicole will be bringing them in to share with you, and you'll have to describe them on this radio medium, medium so that people can visualise them. We'll, uh, we'll take a photo of it and put it on our Facebook page too. No, we're going to no, use, we're gonna use words to describe it. We're, yes. we're going to be You can, Dr Beach, with your 17 yes. copies. <laughs> And uh, speaking of you, Dr Beach, you're going to be closing the show with some really interesting science about uh, deep diving whales and the way... So- uh, the the marvellous net I'm going to talk about, hmm. the Rete Mirabile, which is um, or Rete Mirabilia in the plural, uh, a paper which just appeared in Science describing a, a hitherto enigmatic network of blood vessels which is um, around the spinal cord and inside the skull of cetaceans. Um, and the job of work that this appears to be doing now from work that's um, come out of the University of British Columbia in this science paper, in short, uh, protects them, protects their brains from pressure pulses during deep dives. Fascinating look at that. Um, we'll be talking about that about 10 to the hour. Excellent. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Good morning, Neil Blake. Good morning, Bron. So, oh, I've look, had 18 I'm... coffees this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you got one up from Dr. Beach. Hey, great to have you here. This is the first time we've had you in studio for quite some time. Very exciting, very exciting. Good to be back. Yeah, it is. I'm here to talk nerdy branks. Nerdy branks. Yes. <laughs> Not nudie branks? No. Oh, that's right. That, no, nudie branks. All right, it's Captain Trash. Professor. It's Captain Trash. Can we talk about the St Kilda penguins first? Okay, then. let's talk penguins. I'm very yeah. excited about this. I mean, who doesn't love a penguin, really? Yeah, well, uh, they're pesky little critters, though, you know. Mm. Um, they don't, they're, they're not very kind to the plants that they harvest, as you would probably know. They do have nesting material. And uh, so in the past we've always tried to get uh, some plant species out there Salt marsh species grow well on St Kilda breakwater. Uh, so it's as an alternative to them using plastic for nesting material. So, uh, yeah, the um, plant, penguin-proof plant guards have proved very necessary now that there's so many penguins around uh, because uh, they don't give the plants a chance to get their roots established. They just pull them straight up and take them away. So I gather that it's something that it's pretty easy for the penguins to do. They, they just rip them up. It's not like they've got a, an established root structure where... Yeah, that's right. We The, the actual wall itself, the, we plant on the path, which is uh, basically just ballast rock and a bit of soil and stuff like that. So it's pretty hard uh, and difficult to get plants established on. So we use sand and seaweed collected from the beach as a, as a substrate to plant into, which is pretty easily um, shifted. So... Uh, it takes a while for the plants to, once they've been put in, to actually get their roots spreading, and uh, the penguins tend to get there first. Yeah, right. Tell us more about this penguin-proof plant guard. Is it, is it something that you've designed yourself? And yeah, uh, well, it's basically just a, a square or a rectangular uh, box, wooden wooden mm-hmm. frame, uh, with some wire mesh tacked onto the top, and the mesh sizes of a size that a penguin couldn't get its beak through. Right, so it can actually, it can um, still access the plants, but from once the plants grow up through the gaps in the wire mesh, 
Is that yeah, the idea? well, actually, the, the plant we want to get going out there is rounded uh, noonflower, which creates a carpet. It's a succulent, uh, which um, won't actually get up through the through the mesh, but we'll be able to take the guards away after maybe three to four months, you know, just once they've had a chance to get the roots established. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we can shift them and move on to another one and create another guarded patch of noonflower <laughs> for, for the time being. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, I mentioned at the start of the program this is something that's been supported by Coast Care Grant. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <clears throat> the Coast Care um, funding is really good for uh, smallish projects, you know, like this, which uh, are pretty straightforward and, um yeah, we're very grateful to Coast, Coast Care for that and they're obviously funding not only the guards themselves but also some of the plants and also some plants that we're going to be putting in on the dune at Middle Park, which is just uh, adjacent to the breakwater. We'll talk about that one in a minute because I want to give that one a plug. Is this something that listeners or you know anyone can come along and help you out with? Yeah, I think it would be good to get people down there Um we will be doing a number of activities on the day, which is actually next Sunday, uh, between 10 and noon. Uh, and, yes, yeah, so it'll be an opportunity to really start to talk about climate change uh, and have a think about, you know, what we need to do if we're going to keep our beaches in Port Phillip Bay over the next 20 or 30 years. Nice and central for people to get down there and, and, and work with you too. Mm. Are you able to talk about um, some of the other grants because there was quite, there was some really good mainstream media on this particular project with the penguin-proof plant guards, but also some other work going on as well. Oh well, uh, the um, Earthcare uh, yeah. funding—they've uh, got some funding to develop uh, a monitoring uh, technology, I believe, for for the penguins, so that uh, they won't actually have to catch them and handle them. So I'm not sure exactly how they're going to do that, but it'll be interesting to see what. Uh, what they develop in that sense. Yeah, and ultimately less stress to the animals themselves. Yeah, it'll yeah. be a tricky one. But uh, you, you, uh, I know at Phillip Island they've had sort of like little way, way bridges and things for penguins to walk over and, uh, you know, so they can check their weights, etc. cetera. Uh, not sure how you could do that on St Kilda Breakwater, but um, anything's possible, I guess. Neil, the, the, the population down there at St Kilda are pretty healthy at the moment. Yeah, well, um, the wet years they tend to... Uh, tend to have uh, double clutches. Mm-hmm. So uh, we know that certainly there were a number of nests that had uh, st- were happening in June. So uh, they, will, they will probably have, you know, raised one set of chicks already and probably got another lot of eggs on the way. That's an interesting thing. So the wet years, <clears throat> pardon me, so a, an organism which lives in the marine environment, mostly like a penguin, you would imagine that the, the amount of moisture on land would have not much to do with how much the clutch, what, how many babies that they make. What's the link there? Oh, well, uh, I guess it's just uh, like they say, if there's a drought on land, there's a drought in the ocean. Yeah. I, I think it comes down to the fact that uh, there's a whole lot of nutrient getting flushed out into the into the marine system from, from land in the wetter years. More plankton, more small fish, yeah. therefore more penguins, more food for baby penguins. That's right, yeah. So okay. it should be a good year for them. Uh, and uh, as I understand it, the uh, pier construction uh, hasn't really deterred them, although um, Flossie did mention that uh, uh, while the pile driving was happening, she was watching one penguin flinching every time the bang happened with the pile that was sitting sitting in in its nest. Uh, so, but whether that's had any uh, tangible effects on the bird, other than just causing a bit of, a bit of annoyance, um, it's mm. hard to tell at this stage. 
There's also some funding that's been given to um, the Penguin Viewing Area mm. and a pier that's due to open in 2024. This is probably not so much closely related to what you're doing, but I guess it's connected as well. Oh, yeah, well, uh, it's um, certainly uh, a, a good development. Uh, I think uh, that it's basically going to be parallel with the breakwater and so people will be able to have an, a view of the, where the penguins are coming ashore from maybe only 10 metres away uh, and uh, they won't actually be out on the breakwater itself, the, peop- the people that is, uh, whereas in the past that's been the case where there's just been uh, hundreds and hundreds of people out there with penguins trying to get their way through, <laughs> through to wherever they want to get to. You know? So it's a much better arrangement. There's a great quote here from Flossie. This is Flossie from Earthcare um, saying, uh, we're really pleased to be involved in the design of the new breakwater and the new boardwalk. Soon the penguins will not be sharing any paths with people. That's going to be a huge relief for the penguins. Yeah, I imagine it would be. They're actually going to be completely separate. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, obviously, you know, if I was uh, seeing some uh, animals around about 200 times taller than myself standing around. <laughs> I'd be a little bit deterred from wanting to cross the path. But, yeah, so obviously it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, great investment and something to really look forward to in a couple of years' time to have that open. Hmm. Neil, do you want to give a plug to um, the work that you're going to be doing next week? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but um, just for people who maybe want to get down there and help out. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, it's going to be at uh, the McGregor Street Dunes uh, in Middle Park. Um and what we'll be looking at is that we'll be doing some uh, dune profiling and recording the plant species that are occurring on transects across the dune, and also uh, putting in some plants though. So, and I noticed that on the the storm berm, which is at the front of the dune, which tends to get eroded, uh, there's one solitary uh, plant that's. Um, Nobby Club Rush, which is well established, uh, and so we're planning to use our dune profiling uh, tool to put in a whole lot of other Nobby Club Rush at the same uh, elevation as that particular one along along the length of the dune. Uh, and the aim is that you know ultimately we we want to gradually create uh, a more resilient dune that uh, is going to be able to cope with those storm waves when they hit. Fantastic. So should people register first or can they just rock up? It would be good if they do register. Uh, I'm going to be a solitary animal <laughs> trying <laughs> to coordinate the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean, if people do rock up, that's, that's okay. Well, then we'll, we'll, we'll wing it. But uh, if they do, check out uh, echocentre.com. Uh, they should be able to find out how to register through that. And, again, this is next Sunday, next you said? Next Sunday, that's From right. 10 till 12, was it? Yep. And to get to Echo Centre, if you just go to our Facebook page, um, the promotional piece for today's show, there's a beautiful photo that was um, that you sent to me to use by Josie Jones of um, a gorgeous uh, moon snail egg mass on a beach. Which you, beach was it? Do you know? It was at Blair Gowrie. Ah, yeah, Josie just uh, sent that to me yesterday morning. Actually, very early. Yes, and, uh, it was beautiful to see. It's absolutely stunning. Just have a check out our Facebook page. If you click on that photo, it will take you to a link um, yeah. to the Echo Centre. Oh, and we neglected to mention the Brighton Sea Scouts. Yeah, well, well, we, we being me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Sea Scouts, uh, the Street to Bay project was a finalist in the Premier's Sustainability Awards. But uh, unfortunately, uh, there was a really good project down at Anglesey, which was like a, a tip shop where uh, they're selling uh, and, you know, re- saving uh, 
furniture and things like that that might ordinarily just get trashed or thrown away. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that, that was um, ultimately the winner on, and the category that the uh, Street to Bay was. That's excellent. Well, congratulations um, to the Anglesey Group, but big congratulations to Brighton Sea Scouts because that works just effort, yeah. it's, it's wonderful what they do and what you do with them as well, Neil. So congratulations on being a finalist. Yeah, no, it was good to be there. Yeah. Great. Good nibbles? Yeah. I always ask that. Oh, yeah, uh, they're called canapes. <laughs> canapes, Bron. <laughs> you got to have good nibbles at these events. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Triple R. Hey, Cade, you still with us? I'm still here, Brian. Excellent. Now, I believe you've got some news for us. I do. I've actually got some really good news. So a couple of months back we had um, Dr Travis Dutka from La Trobe University on talking about the Western Port Bryozoan Reef community. So this is, for those that didn't hear, it's basically these bryozoans that are in the northeastern part of Western Port that form these massive reefs. They basically stick one to one and a half metres out of the silty, sandy, lucky sort of mud that's there and form these amazing colonies that are called fenestrate or basically it's like massive doilies is what they look like um, laying in the sediment there. So they've come across these areas and they've put them up for the flora and fauna um, list to be nominated and it just got through. It was signed on the 27th of September 2022. It is now recognised under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act as a threatened community of flora and fauna. And basically what that means is that now if anything goes ahead in Western Port that's potentially going to impact upon that, it has to come into consideration. And given it is such a delicate colony that's basically not really found anywhere else in the world, uh, it's the first step in protecting this really unique thing that we have sitting in Western Port. So some good news. Kay, that is fantastic news, yeah, the Bridesoan Reefs. And as you said, they are delicate colonies and, and, and they're delicate organisms, aren't they? Lace corals is another name for them, even though they are not corals at all, completely diff- um, distantly related to them. But, yeah, wonderful stuff. Yeah, that's it. And I prefer doily corals doily uh, myself. Coral. <laughs> but uh, lace, lace coral probably paints the picture. You and, you and your Belgian it. lace. I can just see it all over your table. Yeah, like shoe laces <laughs> yeah, well, boot laces. Boot laces. Yeah, yes. Yeah, well, that, that leads into the new talk too, doesn't it? But let's just um, <laughs> celebrate the Western Port Bryozoan Reef community. Yeah. And congratulations. As you said, it's a hugely significant thing that's happened and, and uh, will go a long way. To, um, to protecting Western Port. So congratulations. To Travis at La Trobe. Yeah. Yep. Look, um, before I introduce our next guest, I need to declare my conflict of interest. I work at the Victorian National Parks Association on the Reef Watch Program and our next guest also works at the Victorian National Parks Association on the Reef Watch Program. And that is where the similarities end. Dr Nicole Mertens is accused of working too hard while I'm accused of hardly working. And that was by my own daughter who once asked if talking was my job. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, on to our next guest. Nicole is a self-confessed nudie nerd, the energy, brains and creative force behind the Melbourne Sea Slug Census. Welcome back, Nicole. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you here, Nicole. Good to be back. Yeah. Now, you've actually brought in a ton of merch and it's our responsibility to describe this. It's not really <laughs> merch. It's it's actually really important and just exquisitely 
planned and produced uh, guides to nudibranchs in Victoria. That it is. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about them? Should we start with that, Kate? How did how or I basically knew that once I got Nicole to bring them into the studio that the two of you would take over the interview and I could just sit at home and relax and probably go and make a coffee. So please do, Bron, go for no, it. No, not true at all. Um, over to you, Kate. Yeah, what would you like to do, Kate? Well, I was going to do a quick introduction to the sea slug census if people are wondering what it actually is and why people go out to find sea slugs. Yeah, so the sea slug census is a nationwide uh, program citizen science where people can submit photos that they find of sea slugs um, along the coast. Um, and we've been doing it down here as a local organiser for Melbourne slash Victoria for the last four years. So four years it's been in the running. That's amazing. And is it, grow- yeah. is it going from strength to strength every year? You're finding you're getting more and more interest? Are you yeah. asking me? Or <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to watch it grow. Go, Kate. Look, yeah, okay. So... People go out, they take photos of sea slugs, they send them in. Um, that's how people get involved, in case you were wondering. What are we learning from these images? What are we learning from sea slugs themselves, Nicole? So obviously the um, the first thing that you learn is what we're actually finding. Um, so you can tell a lot from a photo, um, namely the identity of the slug. If we know the identity of the slug, sometimes we find slugs that we don't know the identity of, which is also quite exciting. Um, but you also get to learn where you're finding those slugs, um, you get to learn when you're finding those slugs and you get to start seeing whether there's any trends in where and where you're finding them. Yeah, and so so far these images, like they've contributed to science, there's been scientific papers written about them and this is where I basically hand over to the people in the studio. You're also using these images to create these amazing resources. There's booklets, there's posters, there's slates that people come out um, come out. Uh, the slates that people can take underwater with them so they know what they're looking at. Uh, these images, they're all just taken by, I guess, you know, the community, aren't they? Yeah, so that's, um, I guess, one of the really exciting outcomes of the project is that, um, yeah, the quality of the images that people are submitting, uh, like, they just blew us away. So we, we knew we had to get them into things like um, ID books and slates for people, other people to go out and, you know, like I think sometimes with a... Um, a big field guide, it can be a little daunting and there's, you know, maybe one or two images and people go, oh, I don't know whether mine's quite like that. So we thought, well, we get all these great images. We've got lots of different images of the species. So let's throw them all in a book and hopefully that encourages a few more people to get out there and and see what they can find. Nicole, it's a a beautiful book Um, and I'm just looking at the front cover here, which has got a particular sea slug on it, which is green and yellow and it it looks like a velvet cushion, an amazing thing that somebody might have on there. The couch, but there's just, just so many fantastic pictures in here, and several pictures of of the same species, many different species, but for each species, there's several pictures from um, from people who have been citizen scientists, I guess, as you've said, and a really great description of the, of the zoology, the, the the taxonomy of these organisms, and how to to tell the various different groups of sea slugs. Yeah, so I guess it's a bit of a, a bit of an intro to sea slugs if you don't know anything about them at all, but it also gives you kind of a, a point to jump off on if you want to get a bit more involved. And again, really, I just have to shout out to all of the guys who have guys and girls who have sent in photos to the census because, yeah, like without that, none of these materials could exist. So thank you so much. What I love about this is the fact that you've um, really pointed out that not it's a bit like a, a fingers and thumbs thing where you say, you know, not all thumbs of fingers and all fingers and thumbs and whatever. But um, not all 
Nudibranchs, all nudibranchs are sea slugs, but not all sea slugs are nudibranchs. So there's different types of sea slugs that are not nudibranchs, including the sacroglossans. What have we got here? Uh, Kephlospids. Cephalaspids. There's oh, in brackets there, Bron. There's, there's a really nice, helpful sort of pronunciation, <laughs> pronunciation guide. Oh, not on the page. The, not on the page I'm looking I was, at. I thought you'd be looking at the page 18, which is nudie sex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see you've gravitated <laughs> straight to that salacious one. Salacious <laughs> Um Pleurobranchs, anaspids, umbrella shells, bubble shells. There you go. I had a little less difficulty pronouncing those, but um, you've broken them up into the different. Uh, are they families? Uh, it's it's a bit tricky. I don't think we've got time to get into sea yeah, slug yeah. taxonomy, but these are kind of the, I guess the the basic groups and um, and based most around like what they look like and what what they do really. So yeah, easier yeah. to kind of tell them apart. Yeah, it's amazing. And then you've got a sea slug cheat sheet, which actually helps you work through what kind of sea slug it is. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so we were just trying to think, like, what would happen if you found something that you were pretty sure was a sea slug in the field but you just, like, you didn't know enough about it to go and grab, like, a big heavy field guide and start flicking through the families and things. So it's just asking what kind of features can you see and you just work your way down and it points you roughly in the right direction. It's a bit like a flow chart. So the first question is, are there feathery external gills? So if the answer is yes, then the question is, are there gills on the top side of the mantle or the notum? Yes, then it's a Dorid nudibranch. No, then it's a pleurobranch. And you can just work your way through each of those questions. Yeah, hopefully more or less. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm struck again by the sheer beauty of these organisms, but it also makes me wonder, I mean, we, we all are familiar now with the term ecosystem services, what these organisms are doing in the environment. I mean, we, we, we see them there, we rejoice in their colours, their beautiful textures, their diversity. But if they weren't there, what would we be missing out on aside from their beauty? Yeah, so I guess that's a really good question. That's one that we don't really have the answer to yet. So we know obviously they eat things in the environment. We know they obviously provide food to other things in the environment, but the extent of their, I guess, impact is something that we don't know much about. So they're deep ecology, I guess. Yeah, it'd be great for someone to do like a PhD or something on the ecology of Victorian sea slugs. There you go, Cade, second PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still I'm 10 years into the first one. <laughs> that's quite an achievement. I um, just wanted to ask with each each sea slug that's featured here as well, you've got the same sort of p- bits of information about them. So the size of them roughly. Uh can you talk us through this because I'm I'm having a look. There's a little ruler. Oh, okay, and the height of them? Is it oh the length and the height? Um so it'll be the size basically like the length the body length of the slug roughly because there's caveats around that. Um but also the depth that you can find it at. Um so again we can uh-huh. find slugs sort of anywhere from like you know a couple of millimeters of water down to like 150 meters below the surface. Yep. And then there's a little picture of algae. Is that the type of algae that you might find them on? Yeah, so either they're um host food because a lot of sea slugs kind of camp out on a bit of food for their whole life or just the environment you might find them associated wow. with. There's just so much information in this. And I love how in the back of books we have comments from um, from other people, sort of like, you know, The Guardian might say something. But here we have Robert Byrne, who is author of Nudibranchs and Related Mollusks, quoted as saying, the book's okay, but you've missed a couple of hundred species. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did request that we make it two or three times bigger, but <laughs> that's, what, that's what his book's for. 
And then why did Tamja Verconis get the cover shot? That quote is from every other sea slug in this book. I mean, it really is the poster child of sea slugs, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. This is a classic one. Well, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, so a guide to Victorian sea slugs, and as we mentioned, that there um, there's some dive, um, what do we call these, slates? Yeah, slates are ID cards. Yeah, ID, yeah cards, ID cards. Which is kind of like a condensed version of the guide into a bunch of waterproof cards that you can just take down with you if you anytime you want to go diving and see them. But yep. where did you get them before that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, get in touch with myself or Kate. Um, so um, check out www.vmpa.org.au slash reef watch. VMPA would probably do it. VMPA. <laughs> your favourite check search engine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the posters as well because we've sort of put them to one side but same thing, like each of the – is that all of the nudie banks in the book or is it just a selection? No, that is just a selection. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it looks like a selection. How much does this beautiful book cost from VMPA? It is absolutely free. Um, it has been produced thanks to funding from the Victorian government. Oh, my so. goodness gracious. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you to the Victorian government. Yes, so all you need to do well, is Well, thank just... you to the grant that somebody obviously wrote to get this all up and going. <laughs> yeah. Kate, I'm looking at you and Nicole. So go to the VNPA Um uh, we'll put the details to that on our Facebook page. I've already put some details on our Facebook page. Oh, by the way, Nicole, you do the artwork each year for the Sea Slug Census, don't you, yes. in Victoria? Yeah. So an absolutely beautiful nudibranch featured this year. Is it a nudibranch? It is. I yeah. better check yeah. that. <laughs> um, what is it? What, what are we featuring this year? Uh, so here's where I butcher the pronunciation, so that's fine. We all do it. Um, Hypsilodorus bonetti. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually it's quite a cool slug in that um, you don't find it uh, kind of outside of the east coast of Australia, but part of the point was to start encouraging groups from right across the state um, to get involved. So, yeah, um, thanks to the, the groups in the east that have been finding that one for us. Great. So, Nicole, I noticed that the, the slates have been split up into three zones. So you've got the west coast or the central base and the east coast, and there's around about 30 slugs within each of those. And they don't seem to be any that are the same. So is there any particular slugs that are widespread? Or are they yeah, we were a bit cheeky. Um, if you look on the slates, we have kind of designated where you can find them and sometimes there's a bit of overlap. Mm. Um, but we thought instead of repeating the same slug on three different slates because you do find it everywhere, we'll, we'd sort of try and separate out as okay. much as possible. Uh, there's a very handy ruler at the bottom of each of the, the slate pages as well. Um, do you want to give a last plug to Sea Slugs Nances for 2022 um, for people who want to get involved, snorkelers, divers, anyone who you don't necessarily need to be a snorkeler or diver, do you, Kane? No, you don't, and that, that's where I was going to leave off is, <laughs> yeah, Nicole, give the plug and then, you know, go out. Enjoy the sunny day, go and find some slugs. <laughs> yeah, I think I will. Um, yeah, so this is the uh, the fourth census that we've run for 2022, so we try to run them seasonally. October census uh, is running till the, the 9th. Um, and basically if you're out and about anywhere on the Victorian coast and you see something that you think might be a sea slug, if you've got a, a camera phone or an underwater phone handy, take a photo, submit it to iNaturalist, um, and it will automatically count towards our project. Before you go, Nicole, I'd, I'd just like to, I think Cade mentioned before, I'm pretty sure it was on here, that you'd seen a lot of sea slugs down off San Remo, I believe it was. Um, was that in kind of muddy areas or was that in like a rocky reef or? 
Nicole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there is um, there's a rocky platform down at San Remo, sort of just under the bridge across to Phillip Island. Yeah. And yeah, it's a little bit a little bit silty and some seagrass, but there's also some little rock pools, and there are so many nudibranchs and other sea slugs down there. It was yeah, it's, it was quite special. So if anyone came down to Phillip Island, they want to have a look at some themselves. They can get down in the water very gently, um, have a look, take some photographs. Don't collect, of course, but there's lots down there. Sure. Brilliant. Thanks so much for coming in, Nicole. Thanks for having me. And we have put a link to that on our Facebook page as well. If you click on the nudie brand, it'll take you through to where there's a link to iNaturalist and you can follow the links from there. But we'll do one for VMPA as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll catch you again soon. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Okay, we've got just over five minutes left on Radio Marinara, so I'm going to jump into my quick life's at beach. Um, I mentioned earlier that there's a paper which has excited me from the journal Science, which has just um, hit the press. In fact, this came out in last week's Science, September 23rd, if you want to look at it, and it's describing a, a wonderful network of uh, vascularization of blood vessels, which is in um, the spinal column, the skull, um, and up around the, the heart of cetaceans. So cetaceans are dolphins and whales. So 50 million years ago, the ancestors of dolphins and whales went back into the water, small deer-like animals, we think. And you can imagine 50 million years ago, how are these animals going to survive in the water in this entirely new environment? Um, and we think now the amazing things that the diversity of dolphins and whales do. They can dive down to depths um, of oh, huge depths and they can stay down there for a number of hours. The big whale can stay down there for three hours. There's all sorts of pressures on them. There's diversity from the 25-kilogram um, small porpoise, which is in Baja, California, to a 200,000-kilogram blue whale, that amazing diversity that's there. And also when you go down deep... Um, trying to push a large animal down there, like a dolphin, for example, or a whale, you've got to do a lot of exercise. You've got to flap that tail up and down. So it's a dorsoventral movement as opposed to a lateral movement that you have with fish. That pushes, uh, makes pressure on, on the viscera, on the guts, and then on the diaphragm. And if you're holding your breath when you go down, you can't release that. So let's think about a running dog, for example. Um, so that has a lot of pressure on its diaphragm when it's running. It releases that by opening its mouth. A whale and a dolphin, they do not do that mm. because they're holding their breath underwater. So you get all this pressure build up and think of it as like all this pressure is translated into the the blood vessels and the blood. So you have this risk, this real risk of stroke for these mm. animals when they're down deep. Because their so blood pressure increases. Their blood pressure increases as they're exercising. How do they alleviate that? There's this network of blood vessels, which has been known of for a long time and it's um, – but. Now, through this modelling, a group from the University of British Columbia have shown that this is probably dissipating the pressure that you have in these blood vessels. And it's called the, the rete mirabile, so it's the marvellous or miraculous net. And think of it as a whole lot of, well, it is in fact a whole lot of um, veins and arteries forming this complex, complex network, not only around or in the skull and just north of, north of the heart, but sort of up from the aorta, but also in the spinal column. So people have wondered about this for a very long time, what it's doing. But we now realise with these people from University of British Columbia and this science paper which has just appeared, they have shown through a whole lot of sophisticated modelling, looking at the great diversity of cetaceans that we have, that this is in fact dissipating or it's, it's reducing the pressure that you get from this locomotive movement underwater so that you're not getting 
these animals popping their brains, as it were, having strokes every time they dive down deep. So it's like an emergency system that kicks in? Um, not like an emergency. It's there the whole time. Yeah. So it's constitutive brawn. It's but, sort but of it, happening the whole time and it's it, it really, it, well, it, I guess it's an insurance it system. Yeah, yeah. An yep. insurance thing, yeah, to make sure that you don't get this, you know, this massive build-up of pressure. Amazing. It is quite amazing, yeah. <laughs> I thought so. Isn't science a wonderful thing? Yeah, I'm just sorry I had to rush that for three minutes, but that was my fault. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Dr. Shane thinks science is a wonderful thing too. He's coming to the studio and he'll be uh, kicking off with Einstein and Gogo pretty soon. He hey, will be. Before that, radiotherapy will be uh, taking over. But before we move to radiotherapy, thanks to our guest today, thanks to Nicole Mertens, um, thanks very much to Neil Blake, who has been here with us for the hour, which has been lovely. Thank you, Dr. Beach. Oh, that's a complete pleasure. Thank you, Cade, very much. Thank you, Brian. See enjoy, you all soon in, in the studio in, next week. Enjoy your Sunday down at the island. And thank you, Rachel, very much. Um, in studio next week, uh, Anth will be in with you, Cade. And myself, okay. and, uh, talking to Michael Sams from Parks Victoria and Dave Donnelly about our charismatic megafauna. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. They'll be taking you through to 11 o'clock when Dr Shane and his crew will take you through to 12. And, yes, yeah, stay tuned to the R's for the rest of Sunday and uh, we'll catch you next week for more Radio Marinara. Bye for now. Triple R. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.